0: My guest on Talk Design today is Richard Dajitsky from RDA Architects in London. Now, Richard is a passive house expert. Um, if you want to know about passive house, this guy's hard to beat. Like, he he's built multiple, multiple projects, um, designed them, but had them built since. Pre-2010, this has been kind of what he has specialised in. Richard, so, welcome uh, to the show.
1: Thank you very much, Adrian. It's a pleasure to be on Talk Design.
0: <laughs> oh, well, it's good to have you back. We, we did an episode oh, probably a couple of years ago now, and it's really yeah, about great a year to a and and back ago. here. So, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. I really wanted to dig into uh, a couple of things that we've talked about, which is this um, Don't Move, Improve, Uh, You know, how can you take an existing property and get it either to Passive House standard or very, very close to or what's right for that property? I think that's a really important thing as well to understand what's right for that property, because not always is it a one size fits all with Passive House. Um, And I know you've got a lot on the background of that. and. I know you're doing some projects in that sort of line now where you're, you're taking older older homes and improving them uh, to bring them to those kind of standards. So, shoot, tell us a, a little bit just about your practice first, just for the people who haven't listened to the previous podcast, and a bit about okay. your passion for sustainability and Passive House.
1: Yeah, so ever since coming out of university, working in big commercial build uh, buildings, and I've worked in Hong Kong, Mumbai, and also worked for other practices. I've always had a little bit of a sustainable edge, and I didn't particularly like the big commercial feel. Though, um, and I want to work and design homes or work with people's homes. And housing is really what my passion is about. I love housing, so um, and I can relate to housing more so than maybe other medias mm-hmm. and um, sorry other other typologies. So we've done doctors' surgeries, we've done. We've done buildings which are larger as well. So, um, but there's something about housing which I think is really, yeah, I can relate to it. I love, I love, um, uh, I love being able to to look at that scale and working on a slightly
0: smaller scale. There's always something really personal about housing, isn't there? There's something about an emotional attachment to it, as opposed to. Uh, when you say do, you know, something like a doctor's surgery and not that there isn't something emotional about that, but it's completely different kind of, you know, I've done headquarters for companies and stuff. And I go, yes, they're really cool, but it's not the same as actually doing a house for someone.
1: I find that working with people and working with um, clients who are the people who are going to be the occupiers of that particular client and you build up a relationship for two or three years Whilst you're designing or building their home, is a really fulfilling and amazing experience. Yeah. The other thing that I do like doing is if if you, even if you're doing it for a developer or for people who are going to occupy those houses at later date, but you've got something special involved in that. For instance, it is a very sustainable build, and it also. That um, creates something special so creating places or placemaking is incredibly mm-hmm. important to me and um and to this practice as a whole i think talking about sustainability so i'll tell i'll touch on the practice yeah the practice really was set up in 1994 um and um we got incorporated as a limited company I think um, back in 2001 or so somewhere along those lines so the practice has been going for about 22 years and um if not longer depending on how you how you count it um as some people may know I I taught for a long time I was a lecturer in architecture as well so I taught architecture and interior design for a long time part-time while setting up a practice but um Sustainability has always been a passion of mine. Even at university, when I was coming out of college, um, I worked on I won competitions and sustainability. And then when we started getting clients who were giving us their houses to do, I ended up um, designing buildings which uh, were either code level uh, to the British standard, which was the uh, the Briam. Codes, but it was for the for, for code levels of housing, how energy efficient they were. And this is back in the 2000s.
0: So, so we just to explain that a little bit for me, because well, that's our now. biggest audience. That America and, and then secondly, it's yeah. Australia. So
1: what so, was that? that? That was effectively sustainable buildings with different energy outputs, very similar to passive house, but it wasn't measured in the same way. There right. are all sorts of different condi- conditions. When I stepped upon Passive House back in 2010, 2008, 2009, I found out about it. And then basically I started getting quite involved with this around yeah around that time. And we designed our first Passive House back in 20... Well, it was finished in 2011. Yep. So, um, and that's a certified Passive House building. Um, that was in Camberwell. And um, it was a little muse house. It's on our website um called um, stories muse and what i realized with passive house is you've got a certain you've got a physicist professor Wolfgang feist who's designed this amazing spreadsheet and this spreadsheet is basically multiple pages and it's all based on physics and every every aspect that you think of how much shading you have the exact orientation the, the size of the windows the volume of air, the um, the internal floor area, the U um, values of all the materials in the building, all of that's put into this spreadsheet. Everything. That's why it's so wow. big. It's, it's quite cumbersome, but but it's incredible. So that basically tells you how many kilowatt hours of energy requirement you need to heat that building up, and you can work out you can work out how warm or how cold that building will be, how much overheating it will have. So for now, the more important criteria is how the building will overheat. It's also, you can use Passive House, uh, the Passive House planning package, you can use it for hot countries. So you can actually look at it for cooling
0: as well. So it can be used for cooling as well. We have have this argument here. We have this argument here in, in Queensland where we've got, some really hot and cold parts of Queensland. So out in rural Queensland, you know, we will have bloody freezing in the winter and really warm in the, uh, yeah, really hot in the summer. So massive temperature change. But then on the tropical parts of Queensland, you know, there's a lot that's like, oh, well, Passive House doesn't really work for that. Um, no, it does. But- yeah right well i'm going to get you to explain some of that as well
1: right it does because what it does is it but you basically model it but you have to model it accurately
0: You've got and, to and model this it. is about modeling the actual site the you know the the orientation weather. everything the the weather weather. yeah
1: yeah so london uh, when i first started we only had regional data for southeast england in right. the passive house planning package in the latest reiteration we have london because london's got its own thermal climate So, um, effectively, it's in a bit of a bubble. Um, So, for instance, I was Is
0: that because of London being the city that it is? Correct. Yeah.
1: Correct. So, it's actually more accurate now. So, now we, uh, unfortunately, if you modeled something in the earlier version and you put the London climate data in now, you probably find out that you've got more overheating than you actually, uh, you know, it's probably more prone to overheating.
0: And just explain overheating. Just to explain
1: overheating. What overheating you gives you, what overheating does is you look, when you model it, you look at how many days of the year you're likely to have that room going to a temperature over the comfort levels. So over the comfort 20, level 20. might be,
0: say, 22 degrees or 22, 20. 21, 19.
1: Yeah. You, you set that. It's usually yeah. around 21. Right. It's usually around 21. But there are occasions when you can change it. And you treat each what? area. As its own, you draw a red line around the area that you want to effectively be um, a passive house and that's your thermal envelope, your thermal envelope and and your airtight layer and everything is in that area. And that is the volume that you work with effectively. Mm -hmm. So you can have a passive house which doesn't have a passive house basement. But, you know, that can be open to the elements, yeah? So you you don't have to have every element of that passive house to be passive. You can have an outbuilding. So, you know, you can create an outbuilding which isn't. So you're effectively certifying the building. But But uh, you're actually
0: doing really the zone that you want to be working as passive.
1: Correct. It's the zone that you want or the building or the house that you want to be passive. So, if you're doing a block of flats, you would treat each flat individually. Then you'd apply it to the block, and then you'd see whether it works in the block. Yeah. Gotcha. So, there's different ways of working with it. Yeah. In a larger scale, um, uh, or if you had two buildings, you might do two buildings next to each other, or two different typologies. You might mm-hmm. look at each typology individually. Yeah. Um, so, there are different ways of doing this, but the passive house planning package is the main. It's the main factor. In being able to model this, if you don't know how to use passive house planning package, you're screwed. So that's what <laughs> you need to learn to use. Yeah. And you need to learn to use that well. But at the same time, when you're using that, you also got to understand the principles and the fundamentals that so you're trying to design a building without thermal bridging. Yes, yeah? So you don't have thermal losses and um, mm-hmm. the, mm-hmm. the, where the,
0: we have junctions between walls and floors, etc. Yep. So that's yep. very and, and round windows and window framing and stuff like that. Yep. Exactly. Balconies,
1: all of that sort yep. of stuff internally. Um, you know, between the internal and external aspects. So you, you have to really, really think about that. Then the other aspects that you obviously you have to think about insulating the building. But one of the most important things that you have to think about at the very initial stages is think about orientation. You've got to think about where the sun rises, where the sun sets. and You've got mm-hmm. to think, where am I going to benefit from the sun? Is, am I looking to heat the
0: building or is the building going to get too hot? So this and is sort of architectural, architecture 101 at
1: this point. Yeah, well, This is the sort of stuff we're all bloody taught at university. That's why all architects should be adopting this. And this is what makes it a no-brainer. And for people to say, oh, you need to use a passive house designer to design this, well, you need to use, no, you need to use an architect who understands for use of passive house. You don't necessarily need to use a certified passive house designer, but we have a few of them in the office and I've done the passive house course and all sorts yep. of things of that nature. But you don't necessarily, what you need to do is to use someone who understands how to build a passive house building. Yes, and it may be good to use a passive house certified designer. Yeah, it might be, but they're not necessarily going to tell you how to build that building. They might know about the details, might know about this formulaic right. system of what it is, but they may not know exactly how to build. You need an architect as well. You also need a bloody structural engineer. You know? <laughs> you <laughs> who know, can work within that. Yeah, right. You need
0: yeah. a builder. You need everyone in the whole yeah. team. So,
1: so the whole there's team... a lot
0: of Passive House builders, certified builders, but... If you're a um, Passive House no, oh, oh, no, that's builder. a
1: different technique. There's, right, Passive House certified designers, there's yes. a new criteria. But, right, okay, so when I started with Passive House, the only thing you could get, Passive House certified building, that was it, really, yeah? And that was less than 25 kilowatts per metre squared per annum with a certain amount of air, um, air change, right? yeah.
0: Yep.
1: Okay, so now there's lots and lots of different things the um Dernstadt Institute has introduced. So you can have Passive House Plus. That means you're effectively working towards net zero. Passive House Plus Plus. You're right. putting energy back into the grid. You've got Passive House uh-huh. Low Energy Building. You've got Enerfit. um uh, Sorry, benefit So Passive House is below 15 kilowatts per meter squared, whilst Enerfit is below 25 kilowatts per meter squared per annum um kilowatt hours right and your air tightness has to be below 0.0, 0.6 etc in terms of your air change rates um
0: pressures all of this sort of stuff so there's an awful lot of criteria that one needs to think about and a Where fair you, bit of variation in there about what you might be aiming to get to from from what you just well, said so okay like, okay yeah, let's plus, let's plus, talk about this plus. yeah go okay through the levels yeah
1: okay i'll go through the levels i'll go through the levels Your average UK home, yeah, suburban home, or whatever, whether it's Victorian or between the wars, no insulation, solid brick walls, maybe single glazing, maybe a few double glazes. you're probably looking at your total energy demand, yeah, total of heating energy demand of around 200, 180. There's different different, uh, criteria for that. You know, some are saying it's 160, some are saying it's 200. That is kilowatt hours per metre squared per annum. Your energy demand, that is what you'll need to heat that building up. Right. There's going to be all sorts of other uncomfortable aspects about it. It'll be drafty. It's more (laughs) likely to heat in certain zones. It won't be be particularly a comfortable building to, to live with. Yeah. Now, if you build current building regulations in the UK... Mm-hmm. So let's say um, I got a plot land and I said I need it to pass building rigs. So, so we're, yeah. we're
0: we're we're a good part of like fifty years to seventy years beyond where those other ones were created. Well, maybe Correct. more. Well, than no, that. we're almost hundred years. I, here. I was about to say nearly a hundred years. Yeah, yeah, nearly seventy to hundred years <laughs> on, yeah. But most of our stock yeah. is about
1: seventy odd years old or something along those lines. Yep. Anyway, so and let's we say m- we take an average of. All right, let's say the better average. The better hmm. average is probably 150. Current building regs, if I was to buy, to get a plot of land and build a house now
0: in the UK... Just to the standard? Just
1: to the standard, to the building yep. rate standard, you really are looking at around 60 to 80 kilowatt hours per metre squared, right? Okay. In per, per annum for your energy demand.
0: Right, if so that's, build- that's improved dramatically Is it? Well, you've halved it, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You've halved it, right? Somewhere around there, Yep. Somewhere,
1: okay. If you do an NFIT project, Passive House Enerfit project, you get to around 25 kilowatts, or you want to be below 25 kilowatts of your primary energy demand um, per meter squared, per uh, kilowatt hours, per meter squared per annum, yeah?
0: Yep.
1: And if you want to go to Passive House, you want to get below 15, um, for a passive house, right. but then also you've got passive house plus, which goes lower, and then you've got passive house plus plus, where you're throwing the energy demand back into the grid. Yeah, right. so you're throwing. That. So, um, but that's with the passive house standards. But there's also other standards, there's AECB standards. There's also, um, there's lots of other standards out there. So
0: tell me, what, what are ACB standards?
1: ACB have set sort of gold, silver and bronze standards yes. for the uh, types of buildings. And it again looks at the energy levels. And then also you have energy levels um, from other standards like passive house, low energy. They've now got a low energy standard. I don't know that much. I, I need to find out a little bit more about it. I haven't yep. done one of those yet. Um, but there are other standards. The problem that you've got, the AECB um, standards are self-certifying and you've you've got to send them examples uh, of what you've done. So it's not as clear-cut. Passive house, the reason I like passive house is you have to use a certifier. Ah, right. Right. So what we have a lot of in the UK at the moment is lots of passive house designers, not that many certifiers. Right. and there's only a few certifiers and the certifiers are important because the certifiers will certify your passive house well, that, 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 yeah. that guarantees the standard that guarantees the standard and that gives you your verification and that's why i like it because it's not about trusting you or um, it's it's about trust in the build and for you to monitor that build and ensure that everything is done correctly, whether you're doing the air tightness as well is very important, yep. the type of NDHR, the way you deal with ducting, the way you deal with penetrations, but the way you deal with um, surroundings around yep. the windows, all this stuff is important. So it's a very, it's a very, it's quite an onerous standard. It's quite onerous in that respect. But at the same time, I like that, because the client then knows that they're getting something, but they can have a plaque, they have a certificate, and they, they know that that building is going to perform.
0: I was about to say, be- and for the client, that means they, you know, they meet some of their um, own goals around sustainability and stuff, but it also means that they can plan their energy consumption in a home and also know the comfort that they're going to have from that home. You know, like like right. you said before, you know, it's not gonna be drafty, it's not gonna be overheated, it's not gonna be underheated, well, you know, like it's gonna it's gonna perform. Right. So for instance, I live in a passive house and I can turn my phone on and I can have a look at it. And I
1: haven't turned the heating on. Yeah, so I haven't turned yep. the heating on. Uh, maybe 14, 15 degrees outside at the moment. So it's quite uh centigrade. and uh, yeah, it's sort of it's not it's quite warm for, for late November. Yeah, it's yeah. climate change for you. Yeah. And, um and but the house is a steady temperature of 21 degrees. Right. It's steady at 21 degrees. You know, we quite often open windows. So there's this myth that you can't open windows. We, yeah, open, we... You open the windows to to purge it, to cool it effectively. So tell me um, about that. I, I'm really interested in that. Like, okay, because there is this myth that, that
0: you can't open yeah, that's a window.
1: A yeah. There's a myth that passive house, you can't open a window. That's for big BS. Of um, course, uh, <laughs> you can open a window. Yeah. of course you can open a window in a passive house no one's going to stop you from bloody opening a window yeah And and there's nothing there to prevent you the fact is you've got an mvhr working an mvhr means you've got mechanical ventilation and heat recovery so the building brings air in in certain places it extracts air in certain places it provides air and you tell them in certain places have negative pressure certain places have positive pressure Mm -hmm. and what you're doing is whether it, if it's cold, if you were trying to chill the building, yep. then the building's been cooled by the MVH. So it might have a cooling unit on it. Yep. Or if it's been warmed, let's say you're in a warm climate, but if it's been warm, uh, if you're, sorry, if you're trying to keep the heat in the building, like you're in a cooler climate, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. in the UK. Like the UK then, used to be. Well, yeah, like the UK used to be. Um, you're right. Then... What you're doing is you're trying to you're trying to keep a fairly even temperature of between 19 and 21 degrees in right. the house along long okay. lines. Yeah. But if it's if if you want to open the window, let's say you want a bit of fresh air because um, you know you've got oh, uh, yeah. smell you're cooking fish or something, you know. Yep. Then you've got a couple of choices. You can open the window, or you can boost the MVHR. So, you can boost the NVHR from your app, which is what I do at home. Yeah. You know, a little app, and I can do it there. I've got a pump box, it up. Or you can open the window if you want to. But opening the window, you lose, if it's cooler outside, you're going to lose your warm air. Yeah. If you open your so window. Then, so, yeah. so,
0: then your NVHR is just going to work harder to Correct. replace Correct. that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, so, there is no point. So one of the things that we had, um, when we moved into our passive house, um, my wife likes to open the windows for fresh air.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And it's taken me probably six months to stop her from doing an opening window. So windows don't have triple vents. And I was saying, you don't need to. So what I did was I bought one of those airwaves monitors. And I said, look, the air quality is really good here. And um, and you know and look at it. and if it's not that great, yeah, because let's say we've used she's used a spray or I've used a spray to clean the bathroom or something, yep. which may yep. be high in VOC. I'm going to say, well, let's open the window, yeah, you know, or or something and like that. And get HR. that let that out, let that out potentially. But the MVHR will also let that out; it yeah, will well, do it. Maybe but just take psychological longer than a Oh
0: right, yes. There's yes. a
1: psychological yes. factor that most yep. people are sort of thinking, oh, I want to open the window. So I, want, I, want feel that I want
0: fresh air.
1: Fresh air, but yeah. all they're feeling that what they think is fresh air is isn't fresh air. It's a cold so if breeze. if I open the window, it's right. I know, but if I open the window, the air through the MVHR in a passive house is filtered. Yep, I've got. I've got decent i think they're called h7 filters mm-hmm. you know which are, mm-hmm. and what i can see is from my airwave little monitor i can say if i open the window my particulate rate goes up i've got more particulate more dust in the house more pollution from outside yeah but yeah we've got a breeze it's cooler i might have let some of the vocs out because someone's used a spray or something or someone's cooked something or ever more so but you've nothing- let a lot in but I've let a lot of
0: cold air in and so I've got to heat that up again. So, how do you not become, you know, Howard Hughes and, and sitting in the corner worried about the dust? Well, you don't. You don't do that. I mean, <laughs> that's interesting. The dust is,
1: I mean, I monitor it and I'm, uh, but yeah. you see, I've got a particular allergy. I'm allergic to cats. Yeah. Right. So, I've got a cat allergy. And so, uh, in lockdown, we bought, Well, my wife went to Battersea and got two bloody cats. I don't know whether that was specifically to annoy me, but...
0: <laughs> and and you're still, still living in the house them. with them, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so therefore I need the filtration to be quite high. Right. <laughs> I
1: over up with the cat hairs. I do love the cats. I think they're great. But the thing is, if, if if I didn't have basically, this helps because I know that the air is filtered. Yes, and by the air being filtered, it helps, and I don't really sneeze that much around cats. Certain certain houses, I walk in if they've got cats, and I'll sneeze like crazy. At no. home, I don't
0: and um we brush that's, the cat that's an interesting thing that happens with that the other thing that you know you said before about you know an old house where it's breezy and stuff versus you know and we open the window to get fresh air because we want to feel that breeze you know we correct. don't want to feel a draft we we want to feel a breeze but that's a psychological point that we're going after correct
1: um, it's not necessarily the fresher the fresher it might be it might But
0: yeah, maybe. But in general, you just want to feel that coolness. So take it take it this way. So let you know, like I know I've lived in London a few times in my life and you know, we've we've been in homes where the back opens up into the yard, you know, like so you need to have big stack. Yeah, yeah, French doors or you know, maybe bifold doors or even sometimes big sliders and stuff, and it will open up and you walk out into your backyard. And in the summer. I mean, there are few places in the world that have something as beautiful as a British summer. Um, when you get one, it. But that British summer, you know, when you open up into your backyard and you, you you have all that. Often nowadays, you know, with kitchen conversions down, you know, sort of below. When I say below, so often there's sort of there's the basement, then there's the the main living floor, and then you'll go down a couple of stairs into the backyard, and what do you do with passive house then? When when you just throw those doors open for the day, what what well, I, obviously them, it well, fills up with particles. It's fine because
1: you know the thing is it depends what you want with the other ones, but it depends what temperature. If you're throwing the doors open for the day mm-hmm. onto the backyard, mm-hmm. obviously the temperature is not bloody freezing. You're not going to have those doors wide open when it's three no. degrees outside. So, so you're going to be doing it on a sort of summer's day or a summery day when you want the yes. doors open. So will you be heating the building? Probably not. You're not going to have the radiators on or you're going to have anything on in the building. But most person houses right. don't need radiators. You need one towel rail in a bathroom. So stories muse, the first one we did, the very yep. first one, all it had was two towel rails. Had no heating other than two rails. That was towel the whole rails. heating. The whole heating, two towel rails. In the whole yeah, house. Wow. Uh, wow. And the clients are still comfortable with that. Yep. There's no underfloor heating, there's nothing else. There's two towel rails. And um, that's it. One we've done in Chiswick, um, Eco House, which is in Chiswick. That has got – it's got no heating on it other than um, a little bit of heating on the ventilation, on the MVHR. So we've got some tiny bits, uh, tiny heaters on the MVHR if you need it, and it's frost protection.
0: So and that works, That would bring works it up to, you know, your 19, 21 degrees if needed. If it's too cold outside, yeah. It's yeah.
1: got very little um, – then um, the stories Muse 2 has got underfloor heating. We mm-hmm. put underfloor heating, but our PHPP said to us our, our passive house planning package that we didn't need it upstairs. The client actually wanted it upstairs. She goes, she was she's an elderly lady and she didn't believe us. She's never turned it on. Yeah, yeah she doesn't turn on. So it, it was a little bit of a waste. It was a bit silly for us to put it in, and we tried to prove to her that we really don't need it. But so you know, the towel rail in the bathroom would have been ample. But it's uh, – it, it, she has got – That's incredible.
0: That's uh, incredible.
1: Uh, in my house, I haven't – I've got underfloor heating in the basement, and it's mm. a 19th right, – the house that I've got is an inner fit. It's a 19th century Victorian warehouse, yeah, which I've converted to be passive house. And that is – it's quite a task, and it has got it, – it's got its certification,
0: and that was quite an interesting task so- because – that was hard yeah so tell tell me about this like um you know like you you have your sort of thing don't move you know um improve and you know like you just said your own home is a old warehouse um and with that you've turned you've, you've made it into a passive house and if you're doing this so for people who are looking at you know moving or thinking they have to knock down to rebuild or whatever no, not at all yeah we, uh, tell me about this tell me about what okay. happens uh, with it what,
1: yeah Adrian, i'm going to ask you a question what's yep. the most sustainable building you'll know this one what's the most sustainable
0: building a square box no, no? it's your existing building you're not oh the existing sorry gotcha yeah, yeah 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 right yes yeah, yeah, so you're not knocking
1: yeah. anything down so uh, yeah. so you know this is this goes out to everybody really
0: yeah, because you're not actually you're, taking you're, away what already
1: exists. Okay, the embedded energy in a new, in building a new building, the embodied energy, not the embedded, the embodied yep. energy, in a new building is more than working with the existing one. So what yep. you're better off doing in general, in general, I'd say 90% of the cases. So here in the UK, we've got a huge stock of housing, huge. And we've got a huge stock of housing which isn't really performing, which is failing. Mm-hmm. So really, for, rather than knocking down all these buildings and rebuilding, what we should be taking is looking at our existing buildings, looking at the existing fabric and ways of improving them to, to work better, work with that embodied energy, right. work with what you know. the Industrial Revolution put that you know, there was smoking chimneys building, you know, producing nice. mm. the steel, the iron, the bricks, the slates, all of this stuff. Why re- redo that? Why yep. need that? Why reuse that energy? So uh, what we're trying to do is we're trying to now. So we've got a 1968 brutalist building we've just finished, mm-hmm. Um modernist brutalist building. Um, that's a certified passive house. And if that would have been knocked down. It would have been knocked down. It's not listed. It's in sort of the Brixton borders of Clapham. My client bought it as a wreck.
0: Yeah. And it's yeah. quite interesting.
1: It was, it was built by a chap called Michael Blackstock, who was an architect. And it's an architect's folly from 1960s. It's not really a folly. It's a one-off house. It's a, it's, a, it's an interesting upside-down living house. Mm. Now, what we did with that was, because it was rendered on the outside, the render was awful. It was all peeling off. We took it off and we put an insulated render on it. We put, you know, we insulated it and we rendered it. So it looks quite amazing now. It looks lovely. It had these single glazed, north facing fan lights and the roof, like an old warehouse with top floor. Mm -hmm. We made them smaller so we didn't get overheating Mm -hmm. and we replaced them with triple glazed windows. There's a bank of triple glazed windows. I'll send you some pictures so you can drop them into the podcast. Yeah, that'd be really cool. Yeah.
0: Really, really cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, um, yeah. and then what what you'll see is that it is smaller. I'll do before and afters.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that might be a really cool thing, some before and afters, so we can see what it was and now what it is. What it is. And, and what we've ended up doing, we put a mechanical ventilation and a heat recovery system, (MVHR).
1: We've put in a, um, a Tesla battery system in mm-hmm. there. Um, we've got rid of a garage parking space we've embodied that and that becomes her home office space you know for clients so there's all sorts of things that went on as well from a planning point of view an architectural point of view so design is really really important design comes first before the science you've got to make the building function design wise 100% Yeah. but then you think about the science how can I make this work The issue that was that we had problems with was, well, hang on, how much insulation do we use? And what we realized was that we could make this a passive house without it being breaking the budget because the orientation was actually quite well thought out by this architect back in the 1960s. It thought about it. It wasn't stupid. Yep. So, you know, we, we we did a few things. We reduced some of the window areas. We increased some of the window areas, not too much. We, we did not walls and we, you know, we, we changed the layout a little bit. We changed mm-hmm. the staircase. But really what we ended up doing was we played around with the view values. We looked at how we could make this a space that really worked. Um, and we also um, put in an, an air source heat pump. So there's a, an air source heat pump there. So yep. there's no gas now. Uh, there used to be gas. That's gone. And then what we did was we changed the roof. We kept the roof uh-huh. shape. Okay. The roof The roof in this particular building, it's a modernist building. The roof before was a flat roof, which was an asphalt roof, but it was yep. an angle. It was a sort of effective I know asphalt Yeah. And it was leaking. It was causing all sorts of problems. So we took that off and we gave them... Solar panels. Now, the solar panels are right. the roof. So, there's no, the, the solar panels act as the roof. The, 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 we've got a breather membrane effectively underneath this, yes. and they are the roof. There's lots of insulation below that, but then that is the, that's your rain screen, the yep. solar panels. So it's not like yep. the solar panels are added on top of the roof. That is your roof. So, there was a lot of really. That's of fantastic. Yeah. Um, to the building, and the building now really performs. So the the energy bills for the heating of that building would have probably been about two and a half. But the energy demand for the heating was somewhere around two grand, um two and a half. I think we worked yep. it out. But I mean, it's changing every day because the energy prices is going through the yeah, roof. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I was about to say, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so. It, that's it, what makes it so interesting and the, and the fact is that the energy has gone from say two two and a half grand to 177 pounds so that's that's a massive saving yeah. it's a huge saving yeah um, and yeah. so you know if we're lucky
0: we might actually get money off because it competes back to the grid um and right it also so it might it might be able to um
1: yeah it, to it might zero. be able
0: to yeah net zero it
1: yeah but like then that. also, what the client has a, an electric car She's got a Tesla battery power wall there. Yep. So, you know, if, if a solar panel, if we don't need the energy, it goes into the battery and then she can charge her car from it. Yes. You know, and it's it's it all works in unison. Like and uh, we've done another one a similar, another uh, 60s house, um, which uh, we've done a similar thing, but we've used solar slates. Yep. Um, on that, with a, a different, not a Tesla battery pack, but a different battery pack, yep. and that's just finishing now. I haven't. Uh, that's not on uh, the. There's a little it's not video.
2: Yes,
1: yeah, it's, it's on our. Um, it's on our news and blog on our website. There's a little thing of uh, when it was being built, but it's almost finished. But it's going to be finished in the next few weeks, the next two weeks or so. Clients are in. It's all working, but we, we haven't
0: taken pictures yet. Right. So there's lots it's of pretty things. fascinating what's available and what's possible. Um, with it, like it, and, and as you said, it's not about necessarily it just being um, passive house. It's about the principles of it, and then the architecture steps the first principle, so that you get the function from the property, and then from that function from the property, then you've got the ability to go further with it, and then start to layer in the passive house values into it, and then whether you're going to go even if it doesn't come to it
1: you can you can go to you can get really low energy you can go to and if you if you know if you don't want to pay for a certifier well, we know, because every project we do, we run the PHPP. Even if it doesn't get certification, we know that it will You know that, where it's
0: sitting on that scale.
1: Correct. Yeah, I love but it. But also, what we've got, we've developed our own scale as well, because it's not just Passive House. Because Passive House is all about energy demand. It's all about um, air tightness. It's all about heating. But it doesn't give you healthy buildings, so there's right. a whole other aspect that you need to think about. And the other aspect is healthy buildings. What mm. materials are you incorporating into mm. your building?
0: Building biology. I want to do a whole other thing on this. I don't want to, don't go too far with it now. I'm not going to go too far no, on this. because I is know, this is another subject that backs off from <laughs> but, Passive House.
1: But that's what we do when we, when we examine. So when a client comes to us now, we do this thing called a Passive House Indicator Score. Yep. And with that, I yep. will also to discuss it with the client. And I'll say, look, this building is capable of doing this for this. We'll look at budgets. We'll see whether it's worth doing it for this type of yep. budget or not doing it for this type of budget. And then what we'll say is, well, what about health matters? What about, you know, I, you know, I because, right, for instance, if you're in a very tight space in London, let's say, in zone one or zone two, then... Your land is at a premium. Your land yes.
0: cost is your yes. is phenomenal. It's your biggest biggest value point.
1: Correct. So therefore your walls need to be thin.
0: Yeah? Right. So if you start putting
1: six or seven hundred mil thick walls or you're using up your space. You're losing your space. So what you're looking at is maybe looking at, oh gosh, well, I really want to keep my, my space to the minimum. Now there are ways of doing it. You can use VIPs, vacuum insulated panels, you know, and yep. then you get amazing insulation with very thin, but insu- it costs a fortune. yeah. You know, that's, you know, so, you know, that's for, there's, you a know, there's a trade-off.
0: There's a trade-off. That could
1: yeah. be if you wanted to go down that route in Mayfair, but then it becomes very uneconomical. Or you then look at maybe SIPS panels. Um, so, for instance, yep. Stories Muse 1 was built in SIPS, Stories Muse 2 was built in SIPS nowadays if i've got the opportunity i will build in sips if i have to but i might not because of the voc content in the phenolic phone. so i'd rather use wood fiber insulation right so what i try and do is i try and think about what is more likely to be a healthier option with all sorts of things there's you know basically every single material i mean that's what we can talk about another podcast i can talk I'd, about i would room. love
0: to i i'm i'm actually um on Thursday this week, I'm going to a masterclass day on healthy homes, which is just around building biology. And I know there's going to be a bunch of Passive House um, builders there as well. I think when I say a bunch, there's probably about three or four that are going to show up there, um, which would be a really interesting conversation. I've learned a ton, which I'll sound very knowledgeable, of course. I'll sound like some sort of an expert. <laughs> <laughs> no, I've learned a ton just about what you've taught me just in this conversation around the different ways of looking at it and the different ways it performs um, and the building biology part of it. You know, I've got a couple of different people on the podcast already with that. And I think that that is probably the most undersung um, piece of understanding that we have in building today is is what are those vocs what are those emfs what are those things that and how's that affecting the health of the occupant of the house i
1: i totally agree and you know so sort of now one of the things is um so for instance i'm sitting in my office and i've got a little monitor up in the corner i can see it's flashing blue so it means the air is healthy we've got an mvhr up in the ceiling here this yep. isn't a passive house this this office when i bought this building it was an old bakery yeah and um, we converted it we but passive house windows in the back as passive house door at the back there the front of the building is double glazed it's not triple glazed so we didn't go for those standards but we are on a very good standard here and i know that this place is comfortable because i can monitor and i monitored yeah post-evaluation Constantly. Uh, and I can see from our little um, – in fact, what I've got here is what's called a Fubot. They don't make them anymore, but that's so, – you know, I can monitor yep. the VOCs, for um, CO2. Um, just, you know, I can monitor particulates.
0: Constantly monitoring the, the environment.
1: Constantly in the background. Yep. And uh, some of the latest um, MVHRs, the mechanical ventilation and heat recoveries, Um, will also do that for you. They'll monitor it and they'll go up and down um, in terms of their flow rates and, um, uh, you know, the airflow um, based on what's going on in the building.
0: So that's
1: something to to be aware of. And there's some even newer uh, things on the market now where if you're doing a house, you can get a combined hot water, air source heat pump and MVHR which is all in one unit, you know, the size of a fridge or freezer, you know, yeah, wow. of something of that nature. So technology is changing quickly, rapidly. Yeah. But what you've got to do is you've got to think about, if you've got an existing building, you've got to think about staging and looking at all the different steps. If you can't afford to go down the Passive House route straight away, think about what to do first of all. And the first of all is to do the, the, the hard bits so yep. getting the mvhr in is yep. the hard thing you yep. need to get an mvhr in and you've got to think about the heating system and you've got instead. to
0: you've got to think about how you're going to circulate that in the house and all those kind of pieces Great. so yeah. whether it's
1: going to go through the
0: floorboards yep. whether you're going to go through the steels etc so yeah whether out. it's got ducting or whatever it's going to require
1: yeah. yeah you know if you've got a chance to put external insulation on the building and you haven't got the money to do it now get the mvhr in and then do the external insulation later, you know, Good advice, you know yeah. because, so for instance, this building isn't super airtight where I'm in mm. now here, but mm. the MVHR saves us an absolute fortune. You know, the computers and yeah. people enough in here. It's enough to keep this building warm. We don't have to have the air radiators on. And this isn't a passive house. That's you know, we've amazing. Got, there's 15 people in here. Yeah. Um, yeah and you're heating it with the computers. Yeah, the computers are on. You know, this yeah. computers on, and it's giving yeah. off heat. I've tried to cut down the number of computers we have, and we switch them off at night. Yeah, but um, you know, it's um, it's really it's down to the people and the computers, and the NVHR does the rest because what it does, it's got the, it's got the the air temperatures at a certain standard. And then what happens? It stays at that it stays at that temperature pretty much constantly. And I can see that through the monitoring. It drops down a little bit, maybe you know, winter time, it will drop down to 17, 18 degrees. But then in the morning, as people come in, it will just start all going up again. Just warm up as as
0: as the as place warms up and the sun's yeah. out. Mm. Yeah,
1: and we, we we've got one big radiator, thinned tube. It's, it's a thinned tube. We've got one radiator underneath the double-glazed front shop window. That's the radiator we've got. And we've got one in the back room there. There's one there. But that one's never on because it's never really needed to be on. Um, that's yeah, in the wow. oven. What you see behind me is the old bread oven. Yeah, so, right. <laughs> <laughs> this used to be a bakery. But uh, um, That's fascinating. Know, I, I love, uh, love repurposing build, build, the buildings. And I think yeah. you know, if you can repurpose buildings, whatever they are, and give them a new lease of life for another 100 years, you're doing more to save the planet than a lot of other things you
0: know I, I i take that on hugely you know like i think the 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 renovation um style of doing things rather than knocking down and rebuild or um it is as you said it's sustainable it's sustainable and <laughs> as long as it's well planned and it's that that some houses well, some buildings, you know, yeah, you should start again because they're so poorly planned at the start and the materiality is so bad that you're gonna spend more, way, way more money than you would to um build new.
1: Well we, we so we've got one which is just finishing off at the moment. This is it's a certified passive house. And mm-hmm. um, the original building there was it was been extended three or four times. We knocked it down. But what we've done is we recycled all the bricks that we knocked down. Yeah, from beautiful. There. So they were yeah. resold on the open market, or we reused some of them. Yeah. Um, when we built Stories Muse one, we reused the build of the bricks that we had from the previous build. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So we did mm-hmm. we did do that. So to be frank with you, there are cases, yes, of course there's cases, where the the building is so bad, it's so badly done that you yeah. do need to rebuild it. But that's what we do in terms of evaluating that site and evaluating that build, building. So if a client comes to us at RIBA stage zero or stage one, and they come to us and they say, look, can you look at this building for me? Then that's exactly what I'll do. I'll look at it and then I'll book the criteria that we have on our Passive House Indicator School, which isn't a Passive House planning package or anything. It's just our knowledge of doing so many over so many years of time and to see whether it is worth us our while to do you know yeah, w- whether level... it's going to be
0: worth the cost and what level you can achieve and at what dollar yeah, what value is, and
1: what is the level of le-
0: retrofit that you're going to go for in this building yeah? that's the, but... a really interesting point like you know people may have a desired outcome however when you get an expert like yourself in there that can actually talk to what that what this building's capable of and for what kind of dollar value it's capable of or pound value it's capable of to get it there this is the yeah. this is the genius of so much experience and this is the the genius of being a great architect on top of having a yeah. a sustainability <laughs> yeah a sustainability and a knowledge of passive house
1: but the thing is what's really important at the end of the day The client wants to know whether it's worth their while. You can't just sell them passive house. And in most of the cases that we actually start off with, I'd say 80% of the buildings that we started off, the clients didn't even know that we were going down the passive house route. You know, that basically became like a default. Yeah. No, it's done by stealth. Yes. So you ask them the questions. You ask them the questions. Are you interested in? Lowering your energy bills? Are you interested in having a comfortable home? Are you okay? Yeah. Do you need to cook with gas? No, not necessarily. Do you want to reduce your you know your bills? Yeah. Do you want you start asking all these questions? You start and then they you realize that they are going down the sustainable route. So I've got a really interesting case at the moment with a client said, No, no, definitely don't want an MVHR, definitely don't want to um, no, 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 let's just go with a boiler. Yeah. And after developing the feasibility you know so we've got on we've done the needs he wasn't into it and after developing feasibility we started talking to him a little bit more said so, well have you seen what mixer g tank can do you don't need to heat up all your hot water at once you can you know it, it just heats it up uses ai to work out when you're around when you're not around and it heats up what you need so you're never paying for too much and then you can top that up with solar and then when you start explaining all of this, then he goes, yeah, that's a really good idea. Let me show you one. I've got one here. I've got one in this house. I've got one in this house. And you take them to the other houses and they see it. And they go, bloody hell, that's a good idea. Wow. And they talk yeah. to the clients in the other houses and they suddenly realise that's a good idea. Oh, maybe I should have solar panels. Maybe I should do this. Maybe I should use this system or this one. And then also, you as an architect, you understand the costs, so you can explain to them well this is going to cost you x amount more money or this isn't you know or but effectively in the current climate that's going to save you that's going to save you or you're going
0: to repay this in six or seven years yep. not in 20 odd years and i think so that's, that's an interesting point with it as well is it's like you know there's a return on investment and how long is that return on investment well those are the calculations hmm. we
1: give in our needs and options yeah, yeah and that's right. what we say and that's what we that's part of our passive house indicator score but mm. it's something that we all take on board but you know let's say let's say you've got a house which is built in not a very sustainable way yeah yeah and it's built in the 1950s it's not really worth worth salvaging it's a reinforced concrete house yeah surrounded by tall buildings really tall it's overshadowed by everything you know that is a very difficult ask to try and make that into a sustainable building, yeah, into a passive house, because then all of a sudden you're going to be throwing a huge amount of money on insulation. You're going to be putting a huge amount of money on expense and trying to make that building airtight, potentially, Right. you know, potentially, I don't know. You know, okay. I, I'd need to look at it. Case by so case. Then, yeah. So, so in that particular case, you might say, well, no, hang on, let's knock this down and build something different here. Yeah. You know, or let's find a different site. Yeah. You know, so quite often at the very initial time, the client might be buying this building to be used for whatever purposes. And, you know, at that point in time,
0: that's what, you know, they need that advice. Because well, I think have... that's really important is pre-purchase advice is like really important. Like, will this, will this achieve my outcomes? And, or if it won't achieve them that way, will it achieve it? Will it achieve what can it achieve? Will it achieve something else that's also valuable? You know, like how when in the pre-purchase point of people buying something, you know, there's always the dream and what they think they can do. And then there's the reality of what that can deliver when it already exists. And I think people, the earlier they get you in to look at something, the better off they're going to be. If they go, we've got three buildings, we're looking at it. You know, Richard, we, we want you to talk us through these three different spaces. OK,
1: the most successful passive houses, and the most successful buildings we've done have been exactly like that. Yeah, that's exactly what the clients have done. Yeah. They've commissioned us at a really early stage. So I've got one at the moment, which came through probably two, three weeks ago. And I've looked with a client. Um, I can't really say who he is, but, you know, it's, yeah. he's, he's a really interesting client. And he was looking at a number of houses or a number of projects, and um, the third one. And I've looked, I've done three, um, three site visits, three. Well, um, no, I've done one other sort of needs and options, and uh, on another one. Yeah. And so yep. uh, he purchased a different one. Yep. And basically, I've been with him all the way, holding his hand, giving him expert advice, until he's purchased this one. Yes, he's paid a few million pounds for the site and it's a site with a property and so forth but it will give him what he needs but that advice that early stage advice which you're not going to get from a passive house certified
0: no, designer you're not going to get, get from it a from a great architect
1: you'll get that from an architect who uses all of those people mm. or you'll mm. get it from a good architecture firm mm. that uses all those people's and they all those people and they've got the knowledge of how to do that yeah, And so knowledge is key yeah, and it's experience as well. And I know that this is probably not a great thing to say because, you know, if you're younger and you're thinking, oh, I want to get started on this Passive House and I want to do it, build one for yourself. Do you're it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You know, put your money. So that's how I started this, uh, this journey. Back in 2004, you know, I was really into sustainable building. The very first building I did, which was earlier than that, I actually did from – I got to be careful. It was for my previous girlfriend, I, you know, it was before I was married and everything. And I built her her extension. That was the very first thing. But moving on, and I tried it. experiment. Use use. You've got to put your money where your mouth is when you believe in it. Yeah. So the first house I did one, uh, you know, you know, won all sorts of awards, best compact house. It had all sorts of sustainability prices, but it wasn't a passive house. So that was back in two thousand four, two thousand five. And, but again, if you're young and you do
0: do your passive house certified, do it that way. Or I think that's hard. a great a great piece of advice. If you can afford to do it, even if it's for a family member or something like that, exactly. Um, yeah, actually get some skin in the game and um, understand it from grassroots. Mm. So
1: all the people I know who are successful within they've all tended to either build their own building in the passive house or they've either built their own house or they've built them for themselves or for their family. And yeah. a lot of them have done it on that basis. And I totally think that's a really good way of, of doing it because you, you, it becomes very much a passion. And it becomes your project. Yes. Um, your you, learn, mm-hmm. you learn so much more. Mm. And I think, um, you, but we have two certified, you know, designers here who come and go and who yeah. work on various things. And, um, you know, we've worked with lots of passive out certified designers over the years. And I think I was saying to you earlier on, a lot of them taken that experience and moved on to other things. But if you can get the experience, get it. But Next, a lot of practices don't offer it. Yeah, The
0: experience it's, is worth everything. 100%. Yeah, you gain so much more. Richard, fascinating conversation, buddy. I've so enjoyed this. Really, really, really good. And I do want to get back to you with something on the building biology side of it as well, because I I know that that's another passion of yours. It's certainly a passion of mine. I love the whole fact that it's now a conversation that can be had. There's enough it's it's gained it's enough It's so momentum. important yeah. it's so
1: important and that's the other that's a, that's a whole other yeah. discussion, yeah, a whole other
0: discussion. It's,
1: it's a big discussion but um with that it's really important because there's so much there's so many oh. people with ailments allergies all of that yeah and you can, you can my you cat can... allergy I I was really allergic to cats and honestly um I'm not allergic to r two. They're both yeah. from Battersea, so I haven't picked specific cats. <laughs> I mean, if the I if, bat- it, if I don't clean the house every week, then I do start sneezing. But in yeah. you know, a very certain aspect, it, you know. So I think yeah. there's
0: so many things that we can do to nurture our health from our environment, and we know that, yeah. but we don't. We think that houses are safe, um, you know, that we're in a safe environment, and yet we could do so much more to make them better. Richard, yeah, awesome. and I think that, thank you ever so much, Adrian. I really enjoyed it. <laughs> Cool, bye, man. Bye. Um, we'll post this all up in the socials and how to get hold of you, Richard. Thanks, thanks, hey? thanks.
2: Bye. Thank you. Richard's Magic Arrows is brought to you by the Architect Marketing Institute. Clean, simple, sugar-free magic arrows that hit the mark for fast results. Let's fire a magic arrow into this week's problem. Now, I know feed pressure is one of the biggest things facing designers. It doesn't matter what level you're at. There is no one golden bullet for it. Uh, If it was, it was probably select the right type of clients. But if you're in a situation where you're being pressured on fees, I'm going to give you a way of dealing with it. And it's by asking, say, three questions. And this is called takeaway selling. So this is where you kind of offer something up and then you take it away and see if they follow you. It's almost like, imagine if you had some hot ch- chocolate cookies and you had a plate full of them. You put them in front of them, someone and then they went to reach out and then you you pulled it away and you see if they get up and follow you. It's that type of thing. So this is called takeaway selling. So the first question you ask, you say, well, why don't you just leave the situation as it is? Why, why make the change? That's an unusual thing for a designer to say. Well, why not just leave it as it is? And see how they answer. And then you might say, why did you want to speak to me? Why did you not get someone else? And see if they follow you, see if they answer properly. And the third question would be, well, why not do it later? Now, by asking these negative questions, you're going to get a lot more information out of someone than by trying to convince them to do it. Because by pulling the plate of hot cookies away, they're either going to react or they're not. And if they do react and give you answers and explain why it's important, then what they're doing is telling you how important something is. Now while these magic arrows are great for fast results, when you're ready to run better quality projects from clients who value great design and are prepared to pay great fees, I've got a special training just for you. Go to archmarketing.org forward slash talk design. Take your magic arrow and fire at will.